You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 148 of Arsenal Pass. Here we are off the back of the second limited calling in a battle hardened with class constructive results coming in. Kano at the top, unsurprised. Now, but Hayden, I know you did a draft camp this weekend. Do you still maintain your opinion that this is one of the best limited sets of all time? Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's it's really good. It's um, there's a lot to this one, which is great. I think, you know, this, the, I'm really interested to see where they go in terms of hero counts moving forward, because I think the six hero thing in Outsiders was fine. You know, it felt fine. It feels really complementary to the set, I think, in terms of the card design, um, staying open to heroes as well as classes, uh, the tension between what heroes want to pick what. I think the one the one hero that surprised me a little bit is Reiner, and not particularly for good reasons. I think mm. it's the hero that feels yeah. maybe a little bit out of place in, in this draft format, um, to be honest, in terms of just tension of, of cards you want, things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, over, overall, like I had, yeah, drafted three times on Sunday. Those are my first draft since the calling, the previous two weekends ago uh it's been great to finally get in and and, and play some more uh getting into testing for la played some class constructed this week as well which we're going to talk about in the pod but yeah i mean i'm i'm really enjoying this this limited format so i'm, I'm super excited to to play more of it i need to not draft olympia though in some drafts and mm-hmm. some other heroes yeah so i i was i think that the disparity between ko and reinar is definitely the largest uh reinar probably being uh in my opinion the the worst hero in uh, draft for this set. Um, I was actually thinking about this uh, the other day. I was thinking, I, I believe that I would still pick KO more often than picking Reinar if KO didn't create the my token. And if it just, no. I do, I do, 100%. <laughs> and it just had the deck building, the deck building positive of having, um, you know, making your five sixes. I think that would be enough. I think it would be a lot closer, but the my token makes it not very close, in my opinion. It really doesn't. Reinhardt's not unplayable, though. It's not unplayable, like, but there it's is, just much worse. There is good Reinhardt decks, but it's, 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 I think this is fine, right? I think it's fine to have a hero that is the hardest to build and is going to be the least played of the heroes. I mean, we saw, we saw Alex Wall take it to the semis and honestly get a little bit unlucky not to make the finals <laughs> in terms of his, his, you know, you, you live by the brute, you die by the brute, right? In terms uh, no, of his you, li- you live by the blue and you die by the blue. I sent him a message and I said, hey, uh, man, we're going to save our blue off the top for a cannon top eight. Don't worry about it. No, you weren't right off the top, dude. One time, Aether Flare off the top. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, right, he's about Ragamuffin's hat. Sure, mm-hmm. sure, sure. Well, it just depends which order you uh, Ragamuffin's versus Banish your uh, Kano off the top. But yeah, I, I think it's fine to have that hero be, that six hero be. I I think, since like, you think the the kind of uh, weakest, sure, but also the, like the hardest to get together. But when it's there, like you get the you get the spec head. I think you need the spec head. Mm-hmm. You get the spec head. You get uh, a number of Bone Breaker Bellows. Um, at, at our draft on Sunday, I was in Brute and I, Nick Butcher was like two seats down from me um, and he ended up in Brute as well. But I like got past or opened maybe, I can't remember, so, Show No Mercy. Yeah, I got past a real late Show No Mercy in pack one and was like, oof, this is the Reinar spec, our, our preview card. And I was like, can I go into Reinar here? But I didn't have any Bone Breaker Bellows, not like I opened the the head or something and knew it was going to wheel. So, shipped it down to, to Mr. Nick Butcher. He ended up taking it and drafting a Reinar deck. But I, I do think if the, the pieces come together, it's really good. Um, but I won't disagree that KO feels very powerful in this draft format. Yeah, I mean, KO feels powerful in this class construction format as well. Um, 
pretty yeah. strong here. I I agree with you so far with uh, my assessment of the draft format. I've been really enjoying it. Actually, it's it's a stark difference from Bright Lights, like a stark difference. Um, yeah, which is it's it's refreshing. I think the Bright Lights had its merits, but. I was pretty skeptical, and they were like, yeah, we're kind of going back to Welcome to Wraith. We're trying to evoke that play style. I was like, mm. I kind of, you know, honestly, like, there was a part of me that was like, maybe they lost their touch in terms of, like, you know, making a play experience like Welcome to Wraith, uh, because we had so many sets that were so different from that. And I also thought, I was like, maybe Welcome to Wraith is not that good, because when we played Welcome to Wraith, we were all idiots. So maybe it's actually not a fun format. And um, I think that, you know, the set, has really evoked that play experience that I had back in 2019 and 2020 and improved upon it. So mm. it's a really good set. It's better as well. Honestly, it's, it's, better. Saying, yeah. it's, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's a much better design set. The hybrid cards do such a good job. Um, you know, the power level of, of certain cards are really well balanced. It doesn't feel like there's too many unplayables in the set as well. Like a lot of yellow cards have a, have a place in, in the set as opposed to being like, okay, how many, how many bananas did I end up with in my deck? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Totally. I love bright lights, unfortunately. So I do yeah. think that blocking uh, three is like really, really, really good in this format. More obviously, I think it's good in most formats and it's good in general in flesh and blood, but in this format, just my opinion of three blocks, cards that I wouldn't have rated very high, you know, cards that are not very good in my deck, but happen to have that three in the bottom right. My evaluation of those cards has consistently gone up. So yeah, the amount of like the three blocks that I want in my deck and how I prioritize this card has like been steadily going up as I played into the format more. Right, let's, let's talk about that because I, I, you messaged me while the calling coverage was on and, and effectively said, you know, like, is, is there an issue with this format in terms of damage density and blocks? And I, th I think I said to you, this KO is about to absolutely smash this fatigue deck <laughs> you watch. But um, I, I think that, you know, damage density is something that is important in this format. You know, the amount of damage your deck can put out is important. But that doesn't, what that doesn't equate to is have more three blocks, deck will be good. What it equates to is synergy is really important and you have to have good ways to to win the game you can't just purely trade value because if you do you'll run into a one of two guardian in your draft pod who's managed to draft enough three blocks and and their deck will be good enough to potentially shut you out but if you've drafted a deck with some synergy in it that has a mix of three blocks and two blocks your three blocks are going to do jobs for you especially on off turns but you're going to have enough power cards to to push through and I, that's that's genuinely been my experience so far and every time i've watched kind of a match where it's like oh the three blocks are really important here it's not played out how probably I would have played the game, let's say. Yeah, my point was actually a bit different from that. And uh, Okay. Um, Lost in translation. Yeah, uh, you definitely, you worded it a bit different and I'm happy you did because <laughs> it was... I may have uh, softened the edge just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my, my main point was that this idea of deck damage and fatigue is, but mostly deck damage and how it starts from turn zero of the game is a very anti-casual mm -hmm. uh, concept. And it's very, it's it feels like a burden to a player that is not deeply entrenched in the game. Yeah. And it's not that it shouldn't exist at all. It shouldn't be a primary game plan. And we talked about primary game plan many times uh, on this podcast, like primary fatigue and how that's, that's not good for the game. But I also don't know if it should be the primary rhetoric of the match is talking about deck damage from turn zero because it is a very confusing and bird like it's a very complicated topic and it takes you away from like the match that's actually playing out to this other macro game that's going on that is a very hard concept to grasp in my opinion because like we're years into flesh and blood me and you are both years into flesh and blood mm -hmm. and we've been playing at a high level for a long time and still 
watching a match and trying to figure out the economy of deck damage based off like potential starting cards in deck, counting graveyards, these cards, uh, I mean, cards presented, etc. is it's a lot. Like, it's a lot. And I don't know, like, if I was looking at Flesh and Blood for the first time, I'd be like, what the hell is this? Like, what are we, what is, what is deck damage and things like that? So I, I really don't like primary fatigue, but, um, it was, I was more kind of venting about this idea of the deck. Economy as, and yeah. Economy. Yeah. Cause it's just, it's a lot to deal with, I think. And I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't think it is a, a positive, right? I think it's a negative, and then there's a lot of strategic depth that goes into it, and you can make it engaging and fun at a at a high level. But ultimately, I think it is like it's a almost like a side effect of the flesh and blood design. Um, so that I wasn't really so, complaining uh, with like a solution in mind. I was just like, damn, <laughs> this deck damage stuff is kind of kind of lame. <laughs> I have a theory about this. Mm-hmm. So just I just want to paint a, a slightly clearer picture for because we're talking in some terms that are very familiar to myself and brendan and a lot of players but 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 not for others that mm. necessarily haven't experienced this discussion before and basically jump in if you feel like I'm, I'm butchering what you're what you're saying at a broader level brendan but basically what brendan is talking about is the fact that you have x amount of cards in your deck generally 30 and honestly it, it actually doesn't matter if you have more because more cards doesn't mean more damage it often means just more two blocks that you have to throw in front mm-hmm. of something but effectively it's like the average value of damage you're going to get out of a card and how much damage you're going to be able to present or save over the course of a game so effectively like what your four card hands are able to do you know if you can consistently make your four card hands with 13 to 14 damage in a draft format that's probably really good but then if that's just the game that it boils down to that just means that, okay, who's got more value in the deck? Who can line up their blocks better? I, I think that's basically yeah, what you're talking is, about, right, Brendan? And then, like, okay. you can also look at starting deck. So, let's say starting deck tolls are 32v32. Um, you look yep. at one player's side of the deck and you go, okay, this player has uh, raw meat. So, potentially three blocks. Let's say it's a two block equipment plus one block sure. equipment. You go, like, okay, those, kid, those two pieces of equipment or these two pieces of equipment equate to three blocks. So, that's an additional card. So, it actually isn't 32 cards versus 32 cards. It's 33 cards versus 32 cards. It, like, changes the dynamic of how these players can, you know, manipulate like the turn cycles and the value of their deck and it's just like mm-hmm. it's a really complicated subject for me um i think uh, not for me <laughs> just in general uh yeah, it, yeah it's a lot to deal because i do think that flush a lot of flesh and blood games like i mean flesh and blood though just the way the game is designed they they are sort of that value attrition based gameplay um and i think that's like very hard for it it takes the I feel like it takes you away from like the casual experience of just trying to visualize and watch like these two heroes in the arena throwing haymakers at each other. Where all we're focused on is like this mathematical number of like thirty two v thirty three and like the decks are going yeah. down, et cetera. So this is my theory: is that I think that is a self fulfilling prophecy that has been created by um, high level or professional players or whatever you want to call them in this format. I think that is not something that the the the, uh, the the general armory population or the casual player need worry themselves with because i actually don't think in a lot of the cases it is true so and what i mean by this in terms of self-fulfilling prophecy is that i think that people have this idea of how you play flesh and blood on this value matrix of this math matrix the hamilton math what are you going to call it you know in terms of of how flesh and blood has developed over the years but I think what happens is people sit down this format and they go, yeah, that is that. Okay, these two blocks are worth this. My three for sevens, because there's a lot of three for sevens in this format, right? That's kind of why fatigue isn't as much of a thing. But fatigue by damage, you know, true fatigue where you run out of cards might be less of a thing. But fatigue by damage, just, you know, presenting enough damage your opponent if you just have to block with everything is a thing. So that's the theory, right? And that's what people come to and they go, yeah, you know, this is, they start valuing cards like this and then they play the game. And then they play the game in a way 
where they're they're attacking and blocking and trading their hand cycles and they're thinking you know what i'm able to get x value out of my hand cycle versus my opponent being one or two damage down and that that's the thought process they go to right and at a high level i think we're seeing a lot of players on both sides of the table doing this the the thing is is that i think that that is not necessarily true like that is not the way that the game has to be played optimally either i think that is the way that the game is being played by a, a larger group of players but that is because i think players have this idea that agency is is real and that the longer a game goes the more opportunities you have for skill advantage mm. for to execute the advantage out of your deck and so basically what i think is that and this is something that i've felt since the start of this format when i started hearing people saying this and then playing it and having a different experience is that synergy is actually really important in the set you can build your deck in a way like did you see the the ko game on stream where against the fatigue deck where he's just like okay damage 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 here's my you know um flat trackers here's my agility token right i think players can go in and just build the deck play the deck attack the game is that always going to be optimal no then that's why this kind of trade advantage thing comes in that you're talking about is that always optimal i, I don't think so and that's kind of the thing that i'm really excited about is that i don't i don't think that pure numbers and trading and this raw economy of scale or damage in a deck is actually as important as people are putting the emphasis on. And I didn't catch the coverage over the weekend. I know, you know, uh, Michael Fing and Brody were on coverage. And obviously this is something that they do a lot of as, as participate in kind of the, the math of things. You know, they're, they're, I guess, similar to the Michael Hamilton school of thought. And I, so I don't know if that came through in the coverage. I think it's but the correct school of thought. I mean, me and you actually differ on this because I've gone over to the other side now. Um, I'm definitely in the the, the, the math. Uh, just play the opposite. Optimal lines, get the most value. You'll win more games than you won't. Um, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with that and saying that it isn't true. But what I'm saying is that's not a hundred to zero. Yeah, that's yeah. not the only thing that exists in this format. Like, I, I think that's a really good thing. I'm like 98-2. I do want to say for the coverage, oh. um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty extreme. Uh, I have some funny stories regarding that that theory and like how some people who ha you know gave me some advice. Or some critiques that you know gave me that, that led to that inflection point where I switched over the school of thought. Um, for the coverage this weekend, it was Mansan's backup, which I think is fucking hilarious <laughs> because the dichotomy and bingo card of the production value of this weekend versus I don't know every single world championship that's happened, <laughs> every single and maybe even Pro Tour like. You got to give that guy credit. Like it's better. It's, it's so good. It's better. Period. Objective. Really there good. is. You cannot argue that it is better. Uh, I thought the coverage team was really good as well. So my theory, mm -hmm. we've which we've talked about a lot on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, not we've talked, but it's been brought up. Is that I believe that if possible, the people in the booth should pretty much all be extremely good players. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like this weekend was a great execution of that. Like Michael, Han uh, Michael Fang and Brody, I don't know if they've ever had any experience on, on, on coverage, on camera, etc. But you can see it doesn't matter <laughs> because they know what the fuck they're talking about and they're passionate. And it's pretty much always going to lead to a fantastic broadcast. And I thought that he did very, a very, very good job. I will tell you, and Hayden and I have talked about this a lot. Most times when I watch a TCG, um, whether it's like I'm watching back an old VOD or I'm watching something live. If I know the game, I'm muting the coverage. This time I didn't. And that's a, that's the biggest compliment that you can give, I think. Yeah. Um, so I thought they did a really good job and I was really impressed. And it makes me kind of start to think, it's like, man, I think that <laughs> this whole idea where it's like, oh, we need like 
We need like this like uh, hyper focused host and play by play. Like I just don't, I just don't really believe that. I think you just need people who know what they're talking about that are passionate about the game and are, I don't know, just like relatively professional, and you end up with a fantastic broadcast because the passion it oozes through. You you can't stop it. It just oozes through. Mm-hmm. If someone actually cares about the game and actually knows what they're talking about, like it comes through. And um, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really really good, and it was one of my favorites. And I didn't mute it, which is really that's that's rare. I I I generally always mute just because I've I've got other things happening at the same time. But I did I did listen to a couple of matches, especially after you told me, Brennan. And I think you know I don't disagree with you. I do think that um, Sam O'Byrne did an amazing job, and he is the person who does bring that. I would say structure to the cast i would say the one of the rounds that i i, I listened to him and I, I do think that is important especially when there's lulls in the game um this format in particular i think is one of the best it is just the best limited format we've had for coverage because you have things like clash you have things mm-hmm. like wager the tension in the game is always like pretty high the game's reasonably fast um so i think you know it's a bit easier to, to get away without that structure but anyway no i i think obviously savage feats and what um nathan and, and ethan do are just kind of fantastic so yeah. i do want to say one last um, thing which on the sam burn thing because i agree and disagree with you and where i disagree with you is that Sam actually kind of knows what the fuck he's talking about. Of course he does. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, he does. No, he does. Like, Which is like way more, like both worlds. a lot, like uh, way yeah. more than I expected, like way more than just being able to direct the cast in like an, an intelligible way and allow the experts to speak. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he was right in the conversation um, of like the, the deeper concepts that were going on. So I was actually impressed because I was like, bro, I thought this guy plays uh, UPF. What the hell? How's he, how's he so good? <laughs> Uh, ask him what his fight night record is on the three floating channel though that's what I <laughs> it's probably better than your uh, record on this channel <laughs> uh, but I lost to calling top 8 of Brent Patrick so. <laughs> uh, not, not Cobra Kai's uh. <laughs> alright alright I just want to quickly just flip back to that sort of spiel that I shared and I I just feel that there's no there's not a zero to 100 is basically what i'm saying there is you know value and understanding value in fiction but it's so so important but it in most formats and in most games it's not the be all and end all i say sometimes it 100 is sometimes you just play a value matchup and that is the truth and sometimes that is the optimal way to play but i think this format offers a lot in terms of it not just being that and i, I think if you want examples of that just go and watch Reinars just absolutely batter their opponent and present i mean i i I drafted on Sunday. I drafted a KO deck. I was one of three brutes at the table. I built my deck. I was like, this is pretty good. I sit down for round one and I present 19 damage on turn one. <laughs> I just go, okay. And then on turn two, I did 16 damage. And it's like, what does my opponent do today? You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just, and, and people will say the opposite and say, oh, that's bad for the game or whatever. But like that deck had tons of synergy. You know, we got to that point. But anyway, um, yeah, let's get into the news. <laughs> I've uh, I, I am I am full like I am so deep on that side uh, of flesh and blood thought that like I actually think that 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 way of thinking of trying to eke out just incremental advantage or small points of value over your opponent um, is actually just how you win in the long run. It pretty much it is. It pretty much, but at literally everything, every card game, and then kind of like life as well. Like if you just if you're just a little bit above and you just eke out this little bit of advantage, if you do that on a long enough on a long enough timeline, you're consistent. And you don't take these, I don't know, subjective context based decisions all the time. Like I think you just are better at games. Like I, I really do. It's like I don't know. I, I'm a, I'm a true I'm a true believer in the in the Michael Hamilton school of fab thought at this point. And I I do have conversations about it because I'm. 
like I asked Sasha and stuff, <laughs> um, like some of the decks that have, are re- even good now, like second in the battle hardened. Like via that school of thought in Flesh and Blood, how would you ever find the Kano deck? Because the Kano deck is like fu- mm-hmm. fundamentally underpowered. It's just trash. And it's a multi-card combo to like do anything above rate. It's like, you wouldn't. But maybe that deck is also just shit. <laughs> I don't know. I mean... I mean, yeah. Uh, there's something. There's something you said in the notes, by the way. I want. I want to. I want to. Well, we were gonna hit it, but Hayden writes, "Kana is Kana real again?" I'd say no, but Majin Bay is still real. <laughs> I don't know if Kana is um, real again, but Majin Bay is, is still Majin Bay. We'll definitely talk about that. Yeah. Look, I, I think Brendan. You know, I think this Fish and Blood is your first card game, right? Your first like true delve into a card mm-hmm. game, right? And I, I think what you're describing, a lot of people will be out there listening and be like. Welcome to the club, Brendan. Welcome to the dark side. A lot of people will say, like, what, what is Hayden about to say here? What is he talking about? But, Brendan, you are a true EV gamer. That is what you've become. <laughs> and that is what long-term gamers are, is they are EV gamers. And that's why, you know, math and positive trades and getting a little bit up on value over the long run is that is the game away. So, welcome to the dark side. I just want to um, two-for-one my, uh, my opposing person. No matter yep, what aspect exactly. of life it is, if I just two-for-one yep. more times than not, go. I win. That is the gamer. That is the gamer mindset. All right, let's get into the news. Um, Calling Hartford, as you said on the weekend, congratulations to Mike Morrison taking his KO in top eight all the way to take down the heavy hitters. Limited calling. There was also a CC battle hardened, class constructed battle hardened on the Sunday, which we'll talk about because we talk about class constructed in this pod and the new face of class constructed meta. So not only did KO win the Limited calling, KO also won the CC battle hardened, piloted by Yuki Lee Bender. We'll talk about that as well. An 11 0 run, I believe. I think Yuki topped Swiss 8 0 and then 3 0 uh, to win the event. And then lastly, Roach Nationals starts next weekend. We'll loop back to that at the very end of the pod, but if you're looking for where to go play your Roach Nationals, Head to fabtcg.com. Check out the Roach Nationals near you. They are Draft and CC, uh, so you can get amongst that. And then lastly, I don't know if you've seen this, Brendan, but um, there's this this cool video that a New Zealand news publication did with James White. I sent it to you, bro. What you <laughs> did you send it to me? Yes. Oh, so I, 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 someone had already sent it to me earlier that day and I'd seen it. <laughs> but you, I said, what is this thing? And then you sent me the link. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I've seen this. Um, it is really good. I definitely go recommend checking it out. Well, let's hit some of the let's hit some of the 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 key points of the video. If you haven't seen it, it's a video based, like you said, with an NZ uh, news publication. They talk about flesh and blood from the entrepreneurial standpoint, what they've achieved, and I actually have the bullet points here. Friends and family funded start either will stay involved, um, either still involved or being paid dividends and likely paid back. Fifty to seventy five million annual t- turnover, six thousand percent revenue growth growth in the last three to five years from zero from basically nothing at seventy five million. Current growth rate thirty percent. Uh, not needing not needing to seek more capital to meet company expansion goals, running on profit, paying dividends annually to investors. Um, and yeah, that's the, all the other stuff is it's too complicated. Healthy profit, healthy profit margin. They're selling paper, so yeah. What could you expect? Yeah, but um, it's a fifty to seventy-five million revenue, right? Yeah, say? rev. <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. that who knows? They like yeah. they even asked James, like, hey, so like you're selling paper here. Your profit margin must be pretty crazy. And he's like, we keep that card pretty close to our heart. Because yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be seventy-five rev, and they could be doing like I don't know, sixty, fifty million profit. Who knows? Like, uh, probably yeah, not. Yeah, but yeah. something ridiculous, obviously, because he was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're not gonna talk about that. But what you should know is that. I mean, we should take away from that is the flesh and blood is growing. It's making a lot of money. 
the company is doing great. Fantastic. They yeah. have been doing great. Um, and I mean, James also in the interview talks about expanding to other markets, things like Japan, which they're very, I don't know, bullish for, hyped for, and uh, we should be as well. Yeah, the next set, the next set that comes out uh, is going to be printed in Japanese. So that's phenomenal for the game. As James pointed out in that interview, the second largest trading card game market behind North America is Japan, behind the US, sorry, country-wise is Japan. Like it is insane. And yeah, I think I, I felt pretty good after watching that video in terms of the health of the future of the next few years of flesh and blood in terms of from a business perspective, which I, I'll be honest, Brandon, I've not always felt that confident. Yeah. Well, the only thing that makes me a little bit less confident, and this is just like being a bit cynical, is that their goal is to get to 1 billion uh, turnover. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I think about it, I was like, how are they going to do that? How do you do that? And yeah. it's like, it's probably going to be like, I mean, 75 to 1 billion, if you think about, I just wonder how much I, as a customer, will have to be exploited to reach that number, to be honest. But um, <laughs> it, it feels like a throwaway statement to me, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. It, it feels like, a, you know, this, this large target in the sky, but I felt like James and then you stayed pretty true to their, their fundamentals. So Yeah, and he, you get you know, the classic James White, like, passion as well if you yeah. if nobody's ever seen james white talk about flesh and blood then i think you'll understand why a lot of us got into the game three four years it looks ago like you'll point. tackle the interviewer <laughs> 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 all right uh come on cook out got a question this week a, a lot of great comments on the pod last week i just want to, just want to say you know usually at the commander cookout we've chopped and changed between uh, the youtube comment section and the the commander cookout uh, question the youtube comment section last week was just a lot of just nice and great comments about the interview we did with with brian gottlieb um if you haven't gone and checked that out definitely recommend it uh, another great interview from lead game developer and Oh, damn it. I butchered it again. Game developer and lead designer. Uh, no, no, no. No, no, other no, way around. Other way around. So, like, yeah, you got to think okay. about, like, design is, like, yeah, it's, like, the big, big boy job, you know? It does, like, I all did the, it right the first yeah, time. Yeah, you did it. So, Just, that that yeah. is James, and I'm assuming that that title, because I fucked it up as well. Yeah, yeah. It'll always be James. Lead developer. Developers, they do, like, they tweak the numbers. They do the balance. And senior game like designer. Senior game senior designer. Games. Brian Gottlieb. Anyway, go check it out. Uh, but, come on, a cookout question this week comes from Brendan C. I think this is this is the champ from my locals, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's Brendan, but strong um, What are your thoughts about going first versus second and heavy hitters limited? I started out calling weekend going second by default, but as the weekend progressed, I switched to going first to try to set up some token and maybe fatigue tokens and maybe fatigue my opponent a couple of cards. Is there a strictly correct choice or is it hero and matchup dependent? Brendan, where where are you at in limited right now? Yes. How many sealed drafts, et cetera, have you done? Um so I've only done about two or three drafts now but i've played a lot of draft in the sense that i've watched a lot of drafts as well because we have a testing discord and i've played a lot of draft decks so a lot of times what mm. me and sasha will do because it takes so long to draft is we will just grab people's 3-0 decks the 2-1 decks and then we just start jamming them against each other just to like because mm. i feel like the easiest way for me to evaluate cards and to really crystallize what i think is play them yeah is to play them just keep playing yeah, them. so i've played a lot of drafts but i haven't drafted a ton so have you got a view? First versus second yeah. in this format? Is is there a strictly correct uh, take? So right now, and I think that it's a, it's an interesting format because I genuinely believe this could actually change. Um, but for mm -hmm. me right now, it's go second. Uh, unless I'm playing against Betsy, where I'll go first. I'm probably similar, I think. But I, I agree. I think there's a meta to this format. I think 
you know, Bitsies in particular uh, are trying to draft these auras and they really want to go first and often they just won't play them if they're going second, whatever it might be, right? There's there's a lot of value to going second in terms of um, token generation. So if you've got things to do on turn zero and you don't think your opponent has anything relative to do on turn one, I, I think I'm on the same camp as you, but I think basically it's, it is matchup dependent. It is your deck dependent and it is your opponent's deck dependent. So if you think that, for instance, on going second, you can use your full hand. Uh, I, I do think tempo is important in this format, right? And generally going second is what you do in tempo formats. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's a lot of setup opportunity in this format where there's a lot of ways to make tokens on turn zero, whether it be through equipment, through cards like Agile Windup, through just attack actions or non-attack actions. The problem is, I think, that I'm leaning towards going second right now is that going first in this format allows your opponent to do things like play tests and potentially get tokens going second as well, plus Agile Windups and stuff. So attacking going first on turn zero is actually pretty bad, I think, especially into Guardians and Brutes. Um, so I think with that kind of said, I generally want to go second, but I actually think in the warrior mirror, I'm pretty good going first, I think. And against guardians in general, I probably want to go first. So that's interesting. I think there's a meta to it and it's around the types of decks people are drafting and how they want to play. But I do think it really does come down to what's in your deck. How can you exploit either turn zero or if you go second? So whether that's token generation setup effects or tempo going second versus tempo going second or and what your opponent's trying to do so brendan talked about going second uh, first against guardian and i think that's because if they get to go first they get to do you know especially betsy uh can either set up this big aura or just push damage mm. um yeah i think it's kind of tbd at this point but i agree with our sentiment right now i do want to say one thing about draft for a transfer to class constructed just a little psa because i was aware of this but i wasn't aware aware of this uh you know, Legendary Studios, in their infinite strategic wisdom, picked on DraftFab. If you're looking to play at the Pro Tour or at any high competitive level, you should probably be drafting online because all the other good players are doing that, and they're doing it a like it, it's almost a it's it's obviously not a hundred x, but it makes me think of a hundred. It's like a hundred X worse than draft fab. It is incredibly efficient. There are so many drafts getting pumped down. People have so many reps. Um, if you are not utilizing the online resource of flesh and blood, maybe you're doing draft camps. That's probably similar in terms of preparation, but you should be aware that people are getting a lot of reps in like way mm-hmm. more than you think. If you're like, Oh, I just go play at my local game store once a week. I'm going to play at the pro tour. Some people are probably getting in three, four, five a day. Um, just to put it in perspective, because I was not aware that I was not aware of the efficiency, Hayden. I was like, oh my God, it is ridiculous. Um, I think there's obviously diminishing returns. You don't have to play a thousand drafts for you go to the PT, but you should be aware that there are online resources to draft, uh, flesh and blood and play those draft decks in a curated format. And people are doing them on mass and it is a very good tool for practicing. I know Hayden is not a big, uh, believer in that side, but you should. Have, I'm not a big believer. You, well, you might. You might you're not an enjoyer. You should definitely be. I don't aware, have time. Yeah, you should to be honest. You should definitely <laughs> be aware that it is happening, and that that, yeah. that sets the bar for the competition that you will be facing. Because um, if you're ignorant that that exists, I think you're going to be very surprised when you get to the PT. Yeah, I mean, I know some people have done close to 100 drafts this format, and it came out four days ago. The set came out four days ago. That is 
this raises other questions, to be honest. You can't, the, technolo- the technology's only, yeah, yeah, you can't, yeah, yeah. You can't suppress it. It will only it's never get fair. better. It's if, never fair. If they, yeah, but yeah. if they try to take it down again, or if they try to, in, in, it will just get worse. I promise. The technology will not move backwards. And like, I promise the LSS cannot stop people from doing this. And that, that's not me saying you can this. Just create something yourself. Yes. It, yeah. yeah. P- people create them in house private. The more barriers that Legislative Studios puts in front of doing this kind of stuff online, the more privatized and in house it will become. And the more advantage groups of high level players will have mm-hmm. over the general player base. That's my point. I agree. I, I think nothing's ever fair. Like, I, you know, I sit here and I go, um, do I like playing digitally no i absolutely hate it so i try and avoid it at every every point but will i do it to make sure that i've got you know the the rest of the testing that i need to yeah i, I think i kind of have to if i want to succeed um but you know that's just life right like i also don't have enough time to do these things i, I haven't done any uh, of these drafts played any of these drafts yet. I've, I've only done in-person drafts where i've set aside this time because that's that's all the time i have unfortunately you know i don't have um additional time to to do this which is another thing so nothing's ever fair right like just is the way it is right um but yeah i think yeah i mean it's good right like people are going to be doing it i think it's good to shout it out yeah Um, yeah. if you're like that my whole thing is like if you're ignorant of it it's a disservice Uh, if you know it exists and you choose not to utilize the resource because uh, you don't have time or you don't want to that's totally fine. But if you show up to the PT thinking that you're drafting once a week, your local army and you're prepared because everybody else is doing a similar amount of drafts to you. And this is how people, it's not, it's not, it's not how it works. And it's not what other people are doing. doesn't mean you can't win. doesn't mean that preparation won't be enough, mm-hmm. but you should absolutely be aware that people are cranking out. Like you said, almost a hundred drafts in four days. And well, not in four days, but you know, I'm saying four days after the set release. The, num- so the, the, num- been available. the numbers are incredible. <laughs> the numbers are incredible. The numbers are incredible and people are going to be very, very well practiced. And it's, uh, it's, I know it's been around for a little while, but the level of preparation and mastery people will have over the set by the time they get to the Pro Tour, or even to things like Road to Nationals, will be unprecedented, and you should be prepared for that. I, I think I take solace in the fact that I, I think that reps is not everything, which is, is and, and maybe I'm delusional, right, Brendan? But I, I think that there is a lot of, you know, you're talking about playing with decks, right? For instance, not doing the draft. I think there's a lot of merit in that, to be honest, from a time perspective of learning cards and just playing games. There's also like a piece of, there's two things I think. There is um, a, a deeper fundamental understanding of, of how to play flesh and blood and also um, learned experience in flesh and blood and coming up with ideas that aren't insular, I think. And I, I do think there's an advantage to that. But yeah. that being said, what doesn't hurt is reps. Reps never hurts. So. Let me speak very hypothetically that there, what if or if not, there was additional technologies that existed on top of this system to potentially aggregate things like larger sets of data and to understand like i'm just saying that the the rabbit hole might go a little bit deeper than people people aren't just dramming drafts like it is very sophisticated it's not yeah. yeah but like that's an if that's i agree with you there's a diminishing return to reps but i mean some of the but you can do this stuff without with data without playing the games as well yeah but the raw so. efficiency is is crazy it's crazy um i just want people to be aware that like uh <laughs> If you're planning to play at the Pro Tour, you should know what you're up against because it's a lot. All right, let's move on to the main topic. Let's talk Classic Constructed. Road to Nationals kicks off in two weeks. I want to get to the eventual question of Brendan. So don't don't answer it now, but I want to get to it through our discussion of what decks would you be looking at for Road to Nationals? And then I'm going to ask you at the end of the pod 
If you had to play a road to nationals this weekend, what are you playing? But anyway, let's take a look. There's battle hardened on the weekend on Sunday. Our first look at heavy hitters, classic constructed. 189 players in Hartford uh, playing in the battle hardened. The meta looked pretty spread out. So we'll talk top, you know, top level first. Uh, as Brendan would say, at the 10,000 foot view of this new classic constructed meta. Um, bingo cards galore. Dromai, most played deck. Mm. 21 copies out of the 189 players. So, you know, it's like 10%, just over 10%. So not, not you know, usually even in early stages of the meta, usually we see like, a, you know, a couple of decks that people are like really keen on, really hot on. They might be more like 12, 15%. Dromai, 10%. Uh, Victor, about 10%. Then you drop into Livia and Azalea, 17 and 16 played representation. Um, and then Bravo and Bolton. Those are the top five most played decks, but it's pretty close. Like... Between, uh, so Jeremiah, Victor, Livia, Azalea, like, the, you know, they're kind of the top four most played decks in this event. But then between Bravo, Bolton, and then all the way down to Dorinthia, like, it's pretty close. It's a couple of percentage points. So, the meta was really spread. There was uh, three heroes not represented. We have so many heroes now. Three heroes not represented, Betsy, Viserai, and Dash.io, which means that there was a Tickler loss and there was a Riptide um, and a couple of insets as well. So... Yeah. I don't know. What's your first, you look at this top line view. What's your first takeaway? I mean, Dromai most played? <laughs> Unsurprised. I mean, it's not surprising after the living legend of Icelander. I don't think that Dromai, I, it's so hard to say because Dromai is a Rubik's Cube of a deck. It has multiple different game plans. It's very adaptive. It can be built in quite a few different ways. Um, but I would say that if you were testing prior to this tournament and you were testing in an open format like Talishar, I'd be surprised if you were coming away with great results with Jermai. I was not. Uh, I was actually f pushed off of Jermai after doing CC testing. Um, we're still trying to you like- play some Jermai? Yeah, I played against it because I've been playing okay. Hayden's doppelganger, Mr. Victor, who I think is uh, very, 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 very good. Leviah, like, if you had your head in the sand, you're probably like, holy shit, there's 17 Leviathan. Leviathan's been the talk of the town, I feel like, online. There's a lot of Leviathan playing um, online, and people are super hyped for this deck. It just does insane damage. And, yeah, I guess it just doesn't have any great counters right now. Like, it, it seems like you... I don't know. I'm trying to figure out, like, why Leviathan's so good. I just haven't sucked my teeth into the deck. Azalea seems really powerful, but doesn't seem fantastic into Guardians, uh, both Victor and Bravo. Mm -hmm. uh, Bolton is still garbage. I don't know why people are playing that hero. By the way, you'll none of you are going to hear me say Bravo is trashed here, <laughs> this format. So <laughs> you will not. Um, there's quite a dynamic going on between Victor and Bravo right now. Um, I think that inexperienced Victors will lose to Bravo quite a lot, but I'm trying... I've heard, and I think that that matchup can be fl flipped in Victor's favor. That being said, Bravo's ability to close out the game with the evasion is can be pretty relevant, I guess, in like a Guardian Mirror. So it's seen initially as an advantage, but it could change. Um, Kasai, honestly, don't know much about it. KO, just a lot of, I mean, it does huge damage. It does massive damage. I haven't had any trouble playing against it yet. I'll have to check out Yuki's list. So sort of TBD there. Um, I guess Reinar is like... I don't know how the Rhino deck compares to, to KO. And then ultimately, the last one I want to talk about here is Dash, because Dash did obviously very, very well at the World Championship, so I, I think we can see that sore. But the one that I have my eyes on, Hayden, and this wasn't your question, is actually Victor. And uh, it's because of what we talked about at the top of this pod. Just do for, just you just draw cards like what the fuck? you just get an extra card a few times a game that's insane and then his specialization is like specialization is really easy to pull off because you get you get uh, a gold token based off some sort of clash um, maybe it's the cla the clash card trounce or whatever where you draw a card and you create all the tokens that thing's insane um, the gold just like sits on the battlefield 
And then you're able to, at some point when your tunic is on three, just activate, cast a specialization, uh, two card, two card nine, I believe, um, with overpower. And it's just, it's a really powerful turn cycle. Alternatively to that, if you don't have your tunic on three, you can also, if you have multiple gold tokens, pitch a blue for the gold, uh, ideally draw another blue and then play it off of that, um, which is just a really efficient, uh, efficient line if you have redundant gold tokens. So I'm super high on Victor right now. And that's, that's like the deck that I'm, I'm up on. All right. So we won't wait till the end of the pot. <laughs> uh, um, okay, yeah, I, I think in terms of the interesting things to take away from the meta breakdown, I, I think Victor being the new hero on the block and being the second most played was interesting because I also think Victor's good. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the kind of we'll talk meta and then we'll talk actual strength of decks. But I, I think Victor is is good and I wasn't surprised to see it be the most represented new hero. Um, but in that top five, it's the only new hero, right? And then if you look at the next five most played decks like you do see heavy hitters impact uh it goes you know bolton's the same number as played as kasai then you've got ko which is also the same and then it drops into reiner dash Dorinthia, azuri you know a number of those decks basically only you know the the or those, those top six sorry three of the four of those top six have impact of new cards um so yeah I, i'm not surprised i guess is there any surprises on the other end like for me Fi only having five copies being played it felt to me like that was going to be the aggro deck to kind of uh, format off in terms of where you start at one the world championships how are you doing as the guardians though like that's my question is like pretty good pretty good usually really even into Tra- tradition traditionally five pretty pretty reasonable into guardian i think i think if you looked at like hamilton's deck um is it depend on the list yeah sure. yeah hamilton's <laughs> bravo deck from the world championship like the bravo deck that they had that was playing to race your mind it was also it seemed like it'd be quite good into five as well um just running these like four for x's with on hit effect that is bad for five these three for x's are with yeah. on hit effect that is bad for five so i feel like yeah I'd, i would have been hesitant to bring five because i honestly would have expected more bravo than we saw um but i'm assuming a lot of bravo players hopped over to victor to try that out this weekend I think so too. But you look at uh, Dramai, that's a matchup Fi wants to play. You look at uh, Leviah, I, I think that's a matchup that Fi wants to play in, in my experience. You look at, um, you know, uh, I mean, Azalea, less so. But I think people, and also I looked at the some of the Bravo lists that people played in top eight. Like people were expecting Fi, but looks with their cards, you know, like Chokeslam, et cetera. Like they had these these cards that do target um, these aggro decks. So yeah, I was a little bit surprised maybe to see that view of Fi, just also, you know, given it won the world championship. But um, I guess that leads my question. We'll look at the top kind of second, but like, what is the aggro deck? Yeah. In this meta. I'm looking at this meta being like, what's the aggro deck? I'm just, is it just Azalea? I'm just smiling because you said Fi won the world championship and it's like, we all know that, but like, if we think about the world championship, and at least for me, um, speaking from my point, the narrative of the world championship is like, oh, Dramai, Dash, Icelander, Icelander's gone. It's like, those, for some reason, those are the decks coming to my mind. You know, I mostly because of like two ninjas in the top eight numbers. And, yeah, I know. It's just like, but for some reason, the re- the narrative that I took away from it was very much Dramai, fo- was very much Dramai and Dash focused, um, and Bravo mm-hmm. to an extent because Bravo didn't do well because Icelander showed up in force, but the deck looked pretty good when we did see it um, against anything that wasn't Icelander. What's the aggro deck? I mean, thank the Lord, there is no aggro deck, Hayden. <laughs> No aggro deck in fight. It's probably Azalea. I mean, Azalea is, is relatively aggressive. Um, Azalea also probably... I'm assuming it's not a great matchup for Fi. I mean, Azalea is... I haven't played Azalea versus Fi, but I played Azalea versus Briar, and it totally shit on Briar. 
Yeah, I, I've heard that actually it's it's kind of pretty close. It's not just purely as LFA, which is what I would have assumed, but five players have told me that it's like, I yeah. mean, maybe they're five coping. But, you know what, um, Jeremiah, speaking of five wants to play Jeremiah, I actually think that matchup is closer than the five give the fives give it credit for. And it's also not as close as some of the Jeremiah's give it credit for. Jeremiah's like, I've never lost a five. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, I have. Exactly. No, I have. I lost at Worlds. It's the first time I've lost to a five. Exactly. All right, all right. Let's uh, let's talk top eight and the, the breakdown. So in the end, we have uh, a top eight that features three Brutes. So we have two KOs and an 80 card um, duplicate, I believe. So Yuki and uh, Nia are on the same list of KO. Then we have a Leviah that made it in there as well. Then we have a Kasai, two Bravos, a Dash and a Kano. So a pretty, you know, a pretty spread uh, top eight. I think my first takeaway though is that the top two decks, Dromai and Victor, which make up, you know, around like... 30% or just under 30% of the meta. No copies in top eight. Uh, Azalea, the fourth most played deck. No copies in top eight. I mean, we only talked about Bolton, as you said. But um, yeah, I mean, in the end, kind of a bit of a spread top eight where you see, I think my, my takeaway is like 2KO and then duplicate 80 cards. is like, okay, something's going on there, right? Like this, this deck has to have something to it. And then obviously as well, the, the two Bravos um, plus uh, I think a Kasai and a Dash is quite interesting. Um. Where is the dash? I don't see the dash. Oh, it's there's the, that graphic I posted. I think is incorrect. Mm. Uh, Rose is playing dash, not Kasai. For some reason, there's a young Kasai. I think that was left over from their their limited graphic, obviously. Yeah, I think that the current Victor list is probably untuned. Uh, I think that the shell is really good, uh, but like the last fifteen to twenty cards is not exactly sorted out yet. Especially when it comes to like the equipment suite as well, uh, especially in the context of the battle harden, because I think people will be adding more arcane barrier into the decks. Um, yeah, it looks really. Isn't it just Bravo? Don't you just play Bravo with some some block cards? I mean, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. But you say that, but I also feel like the Bravo shell is there's not a lot of room. I don't know. I'm always wrong when it comes to Bravo, but I feel like there's not a ton of room for creativity at the Bravo shell. Like a lot of cards are just like locked in. So every time I play Victor, I feel like I want a couple more pieces in my deck. You know, like I feel like I'm missing a few strategic pieces yeah. to round out all my matchups. Um, so we're kind of working on that at the moment. Uh, I just want to ask you, Hayden, what are your thoughts on Levat? I mean, KO, we can put a pin in it because we've got to see the list, play the list. Maybe they got they had something everybody else didn't. When I played against I've KO, got the list here. we can we okay. can talk about the KO, but what, you ask your question first. Yeah, what do you think about, about Brutes and I mean specifically Leviah? What are your thoughts about Brutes? So probably I guess Leviah and KO, but specifically want to hear Leviah first. Um I, I think I mean obviously Brute got a lot from the set, and we can talk KO in a second. I think Leviah got the least. I think you know, there's a lot of talk of, you know, if I see another tier list, I might bang my head against a brick wall, Brendan. But um, there was a lot of tier lists that came out last week of people, you know, with their their hot takes and class constructed after the set hadn't even been released yet, which is fine, I guess. But my my view is that I think it's gotten the least. I've played a couple of games with Leviah. Um, I've looked at lists. I, I mean, it, you know, you get the Agile wind-up. It's quite interesting. Um, Apex Bonebreaker is a hell of a piece of equipment, one of the best pieces of equipment. Brutes had two of the best pieces of equipment printed recently. And that's that's kind of insane um, with Scaling Fleshbag as well. But Apex Bone Breaker, you know, effectively a, a card that you can get five value out of for all you math heads out there. Brendan's salivating at that one. Five value out of a piece of equipment. That's that's insane, right? So, um, but that being said, it still has all the Leviathan problems it had before. None of these cards fix the problem of, okay, if I lean into any amount of blood debt, I have to deal with that blood debt. And the power level of the, the risk I'm taking on. So my my two card nines with endless more, my uh, one for sixes with 
Boneyard, Marauder, all this etc. stuff, my ability to play Art of War efficiently, all this stuff has to outweigh that end game. And I, I just don't think it does when you have KO and to an extent Reinar there as well, doing able to do some of this this value proposition plus explosive damage somewhere in the same vicinity without any downside at the end of the game. So in in fact, in Reinar's case, massive upside in the end of the game with with the intimidate uh, factor. So yeah, Levi to me, honestly, I'm I think it's I think it's the worst of the three brutes in class constructed right now. And I know other people would have it have it completely the other way around, but mm. that's been my view so far. I don't have enough and I don't have enough hands-on experience with all three brutes to make a call. Um when I have played against Leviathan, it looks strong, to be honest. Like the deck does look very strong. So I had my eye on it. It, was, it is still good. Yeah, it was like on my list is like the next deck, uh, deck I was going to test. Um, anyway, let's talk about this this KO list. Is it? I mean, I, was, I can't hesitate to say the word atypical. But it's the first time we're seeing a KO list. So, what are your thoughts? So we we've seen some KO lists in the lead up. You know, people the the, the chat has been around Berserk, right? That's what people were, were talking about. Berserk is this, and you know, you get to do these these combo plays. You play your your six pulpings, your six wild rides. You know your you just your damage, right? Or no, all Bloodrush Bellow um, and Berserk, and you just play that, right? That's that's the deck. I I think people have realized pretty quickly that that is not a not that it's not a winning proposition, but that it's it's got a lot of issues that really folds to um, any sort of disruption because it doesn't block well because of all the no blocks, and it kind of doesn't leverage the value of what Ko's hero ability is, which is this might generation. So um, basically, the the list it looks pretty similar to what i had expected i think it's a mid-range ko list that um that yuki and at near played and i think it's similar to what uh i'd been testing as well i think this is the way to build i think you want to play a, a value a value proposition build um it's basically a lot of sixes and cast bones and cast mm. bones is so broken good. so yeah. it's crazy <laughs> i i think that's literally what it is you know it's like you have you have cast bones um that can represent zero for you know, six a, going a zero well, zero, yeah, zero for eight in a lot of cases. But like even worst case scenario, it blocks three. If you don't get to play it on off an agility token or you don't block out the turn prior um, and you get like, say you, you hit a, bo- a Blood Rush Bellow or another Cast Bones off it and it's a zero for five. Like that's still a zero for five. Yep. I think that's, that's still insane. So, and I, I think that's basically the strength that KO is going to play on. Well, played on on the weekend with these two top eights and a win, and also what people are going to play on for the near future. I think this is the strongest way to build KO. I, I think I, I completely agree with what they've done here. It's what I've been looking at as well. Uh, the card that interests me the most, they have no fear uh, in the deck, which I don't know if that card is particularly good, but it, it you know, I, maybe it is. Mm. Um, yeah, Cast Bones is like the most obviously pushed card that I've seen in a while. Yeah. I mean, like obviously pushed card. Think about like um, Codex of Frailty. It's like okay, it's pushed, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's not as this is just like okay, it's, it's zero for eight, zero for five. I'm like you know reasonable. I mean, Codex of Frailty is pretty similar. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's not as obvious. Yeah. This is like right, right, just right. disgusting. Um, like it's totally face up. Um, yeah, it seems really powerful. I've played against a lot of Cast Bones recently, and. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a sight to behold. It is a sight to behold. Yeah, cut's good. Cut's good. I mean, this is a, this is a value based KO build, and I, I think that's the correct way to build it. You leverage your hero ability. You leverage good Blood Rush Bellows turns with your Mandible Claw as your weapon. Um, you leverage obviously Cast Bones and just good attacks. Runner Runner is particularly good. Um, you know, Bear Fangs is a two card nine in KO. That's pretty good. <laughs> All these things, right? It's it's pure value based. I think the my kind of question is like is 
is KO the hero that got the ranger treatment and is going to be like the big bad of this format? I, you know, it's not, Cast Bones is not Codex because Cast Bones requires you to have a lot of constraints in the way you build your deck, which Codex does, does not. Um, but in saying that, Cast Bones is still very strong. But I, I, you know, I don't think this is, when, I don't think we're looking at Lexi here with KO. I, I definitely don't think that. Um, so as much as it is good, it is really value based. And I think that's a great way to attack the format on week one. I, I, you know, I think this is going to potentially struggle into decks that can present big bursts of damage, um, decks that don't want to value trade with you. So we'll see. It's good though. Definitely good. And I, I can, you know, it makes sense that Yuki just swept it because this list is, is very tight. It looks very refined for a week one list. I think. I'm excited to try it out. I'm genuinely excited to try it out. Uh, can I just find the list on February, by the way? Sorry. I don't usually do this in the pod, but I'm going to try this out today. So I've already, I've already seen it too. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about some of the other top eight heroes as well, maybe while you peruse that. I think... <laughs> I have a question about Kana, which we can come back to. I, I think two Bravos is really interesting. I think Bravo to me, if I'm like sitting down, I'm going, okay, what do I think of the decks? that have to have a position in this meta off the back of the previous format. Uh, obviously, you know, we talked about KO coming in and being the, the new, the newness, but Bravo is the one that's super interesting to me as well, because it was held down, I think, a lot by Icelander in the previous format. It's gotten some new tools as well, I think, not least of which is another blue six, which really helps into Dromai. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, Brennan's no longer going to talk trash about Bravo, and that's because it's a real contender. Like, if I'm sitting there right now, my, in my view, the, the top decks in this format uh a bravo azalea victor and ko i think like that's that's kind of the starting point of the probably the decks that you need to understand but it's really bravo or victor right like it can't be both i just don't see a i don't see a meta where it is both i feel like people are going to be divided and then one will rise to the top and i do wonder if bravo's specializations are good enough to sacrifice the victor hero ability which is just absolutely disgusting like just you just get like really three, two to three, maybe even four extra cards a game. That's just so ridiculous. Um, but Crippling Crush is good. The other ones are not as good. So uh, I don't know. I'm torn. Golden Sun is pretty nuts. Like two card ten no, with yeah. overpower. That card. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really really uh, good. Trounce. Trounce is broken. Trounce like, is I, nuts. I, but that's yeah. the thing. Is like uh, Trounce. I mean. Trounce is not it's always not broken. broken. Sometimes you got to take it it's out. It's not but, actually broken. But, I just, I'm, you know, it's hyper. Yeah, but you're but. playing against Dramai. It's bro- like, it is broken. Like, if you play against, like, not Levy and not Bravo, it is broken. Like, it's a crazy card. Um, KO seems tough for Victor because you're never winning a clash. So, do you, you mostly, you're probably, you're probably very, very rarely winning a clash. Yeah. So, are you siding out? Yeah. Definitely. Lock cards. Well, the- can you do it? And then can you can you win? Because now they're just a bit of value proposition deck than you because you've lost all your value in your deck. I think you side out the bad ones. Like I think you side out some of the clashes you really don't want to lose. Um, but like the one that's like a zero for f- or you know X for four. Test of strength stays in because yeah, you yeah, yeah. care about giving yeah, like gold. You give them a gold. Yeah. It's like whatever. And if you get gold, it's like oh my god, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, I don't think I put trounce in. So <clears throat> I think it's relevant. You know, it's relevant and like yeah. how you're siding your deck. It's like oh, I'm gonna lose most of the clashes. I also think that you know you're playing Anathos in that matchup you're not swinging the miller's grindstone because yeah yeah (laughs) obviously so yeah it's relevant to the deck building but i don't think it's you know if you think about it from if you had no experience with victor you're like oh victor is really bad into the match where he will lose most of the clashes no i i don't think that he's bad uh i think it's just Mm -hmm. you side in some cards inside out some cards and he's still really good because even if your percentage chance of getting a gold token off test of strength is lower 
it's still insane. <laughs> like, it, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. so broken. Like I just, I, it's hard to, there's a reason why people gravitated to Victor, to Victor. It's because it's, it's obvious. Good. <laughs> it's obvious. It's so obvious that that hero is powerful. It, it's just like Sasha was making fun of me because like, oh, wow, the, the hero that draws cards is good. It's like, yeah, that, 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 is, that is what it is. It's a hero that draws an extra couple cards a game. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, look at it this way, right? This is I like to value on a single interaction, so it's it's in a vacuum, right? But test of strength, I win the gold, I draw a card, right? You draw off the test of strength. No, yeah. it's attack. It's attack, or you do draw. No, you draw when you create the first time you create yeah. a gold token. A token on off your e- effect each turn, any turn, each turn. Yeah, yeah, each turn. Yeah. So zero for four, I draw my card. So I'm zero for four, draw a card. I get a gold, and if I can turn that into a plus three on gold and sudden overpower, I've got like a, you know, a plus a zero for ten, a one card ten. That's a pretty good hero ability. <laughs> it's, we're, it's not even a stretch. Like it's the thing. It's like there's yeah. like there's things like that have existed in the game. Where it's like, oh, you can get this like one card eight or one card ten. It's like, oh, you got to jump through all these hoops. This is just so easy. It's so easy. You have to do. You don't have to do any. You barely have to do anything. It's like, oh, maybe it's a little bit less effective versus KO. God forbid, I give KO a token for my fifty percent chance to also get one and draw a card and have a zero for ten. It's like take that every day. The hero is just really, really good. I think that. I think I think Victor has a chance to be the old him of this format. To be honest, like it just has that inherent value asymmetry. It does, and if it has the good card quality of Guardian, I think if you tune that list, it could be a real, real problem in this format. Problem in a good way, not like you know. It's okay. Yeah, I'm not seeing it. I think it, you know, it, there's no crown of seeds. There's only so many. Um times you can trigger the hero ability in the game also a question becomes i think once people learn to plan to victor and come up with strategies is like sometimes that card just does nothing i think it's going to be the the big thing and, and maybe victors can adjust to that in terms of that card you draw just just doing nothing um but but we'll see i do think victor is is very good and i think it's a it's a great pick for its nationals i think it's going to be a, a deck that we see impact early on in the meta where it lands i i don't know i have concerns that if you're trying to play a value game ko might just do it better and i think the question for a lot of people heading into week one of road to nationals is how do you beat KO? like what is your plan against this this value-based ko deck like it's got to be it just won the first class constructed event with heavy hitters so what's what's your plan what are you doing and i think well also sorry we should say there was a there was a a, a, a pti event in manila there was a i believe a limited or blitz battle hardened and then there was also i think yeah blitz battle hardened one by justin justin um uh, q which we should say who is two calling taipei calling champion. champion now yep um he won well he's a battle hardened and a calling champion but he he did get a, open a, a gold foil apex bone breaker very nice uh but there was a pti event in manila on the sunday um and there was a lot of ninja in that top eight actually and i believe it was i have to go back and look at what won it i think i think it might have been bravo that won it in the end yeah i think it's bravo versus in the final yeah i mean if the <laughs> If there's any regionality-based deck decisions in Flesh and Blood, I think that Ninja in Asia is one of them. Like, it's been like that since 2019-2020. They had, like, way higher representations of Katsu, both in, like, the early formats, um, like Crucible, but even in the later formats, there was still Ninja showing up. So that could be a reason there was a lot more Ninjas, just as, like, a, a inclination to play that hero uh, over in that region. But I would not be surprised to see Bravo win it if there's, like, a ton of a ton of Ninjas that show up um but yeah we'll see i mean yeah. like there's regionality is a huge thing when it comes to formats for these lower tournaments in flesh and blood like we see it all the time in europe um but ultimately when we get to the world championships i think we do coalesce on just like the best decks or pro tours of course
Yeah. And then Ninja wins the world championship. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think in Asia, Asia has often been fairly... Uh, they they do love agrodex. I, I I don't I I will agree, but um, prism and Dorinthia has also been pretty big in in that region as well. Um, okay, I think some of the quick questions I want to I want to blast through to finish off this kind of first look at class constructed is Dromine. Is it just tier C or third tier or second no. tier at best now? No, no way. There's no way it's tier C. Like I don't know. Dromai is like a big. It's a funny hero because, like I think that there's. You know, the community is really split on a lot of its matchups. Um, and like, I mean, very split. You know, both sides calling it 90-10s. You can think about like the Jermai, uh Bravo matchup. Bravo. Like, it's just like, it's, it's, everybody has their own idea. And I think that happens for a lot of, a lot of Jermai's matchups, Jermai Phi. So I would not count Jermai out whatsoever. Um, it's also possible that the Jermai deck needs to be refined a bit for this metagame. Um, so, I mean, I just think the hero's really powerful. And I don't think you can re- you can get around that. I mean, if the format is all KO and Leviathan, then maybe it's a different story. But ultimately, Jeremiah is just one of the best heroes in Flesh and Blood. It's always had a shit conversion rate, so I wouldn't be... It, this doesn't deter me. I mean, it didn't in the national season uh, prior to the printing of Time. <laughs> Imperial Flame, to be honest. It had a really good national season. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm really down on Dromai and I'm someone who played a lot of Dromai last year. Um, it just doesn't particularly interest me right now. I think it has a lot of tough matchups. I don't think it has a particularly good matchups, honestly. Like I'm looking at this being like, okay, so we've got a lot of Brutes in there. We've got a, a lot of Guardians in here and things like Azalea, et cetera, like a lot of aggro decks. Like, I, there's no necessarily Icelanders for me to, to look at. There's no kind of aggro decks that play on... Uh, have challenges into necessarily sort of attacking me in a very aggressive manner and a more kind of you know rosetta thorn decks basically you know those those i think were, were fine for you so i don't know um warrior kasai makes top eight but there's you know obviously that's the third we're talking about we've talked about guardian we've talked about uh brute we've got to talk about warrior and the cards that it's it seems like it's the third right now in terms of what heavy hitters has done you know we're talking a lot about victor we're talking a lot about ko and and livia and reiner etc but what about the what about the what about the Warriors? You know, what about Kasai? What about Durantia? What about Bolton? Are any of them good? And if so which one's the the Warrior to look at for Rose National season? I don't know. <laughs> I actually don't know. Um, I just haven't had any experience versus the Warriors in the in the past week or so. Um, so all right, I, I have. There you go. Okay, I'll jump in. <laughs> so I've got a couple of friends who are really high on Kasai. Uh, and I've been, I would say, underwhelmed so far with Kasai. I'm not particularly excited about it. I think Valiant Dynamo is an insane piece of equipment, right? And I think Kasai gets to, to leverage that. The the decks I've seen so far or played against or played with have felt like there's just not quite enough damage. They feel like they're struggling from both a value proposition a little bit, but also from a damage output threshold. Um, so I, I think that Kasai... It may end up being the warrior of choice, but it's going to be specifically tuned to a meta. I think I can see that's being Kasai's place. On the flip side, Dorinthia, I think, is the explosive one. I think that's the one that might be of most interest to me. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can build it. I think that what I'd be looking at is more of some of the offensive cards. I don't think I don't like these Decimator Axe stories. I, I don't think they're particularly good. But, you know, a really explosive build, either Dawnblade or uh, dual-wielding weapons, I think is, is quite interesting. Bolton, 
I don't know, man. I, I just, I, I don't get it. I don't At this get point, Bolton. I just, I don't want it to be good because the people that have been saying it's good for a long time are just coping so hard. It's like they don't deserve it because those people are not willing to acknowledge reality. It's like if Bolton is ever actually good, they're going to be like, we were right all along. It's like, come on, come on. The Bolton players are looking like the, the brute players of old. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Or the prism players um, now. I, I have my eye on prism, actually, to be honest. Um, Prism is interesting. If Dromai doesn't exist in the format because it's it's you know falls out of favor, then Prism becomes very interesting. I think uh, we'll come back to that one. I yeah. think once we've got some more some more reps in the format, we talked a little bit about Kano um, Dash. I mean, I think Dash has got to be up there. I talked about those four decks before. I think Dash is kind of that fifth deck and that that upper echelon of decks that I think people have to be looking at. Um, it's just consistent. Like it just has powerful cards. It has powerful game plans, and it's it's always been good and it has this ability to like you said earlier play a hybrid game plan which is really powerful in a, in a format that has a lot of heroes in it so um yeah let's let's finish up with the question brendan i guess you've kind of already answered it but you're heading to road to nationals this weekend what do you recommend playing or, or what would you be playing and maybe if it's not victor what else could it be mm. if it wasn't victor <laughs> it would probably be bravo um but it could, I mean, honestly, it could be KO after today. I got to try the list. Like, if, if it's good, then I'd play KO. But I just think that Bravo, <laughs> it was kind of consistently mid for a long time. But due to the power level of the format, I think that consistently mid is now consistently good. So it's a pretty consistent deck. Um, and I feel very comfortable on it after doing a lot of testing for the World Championship previously. And yeah, it's just, it's just solid. Like, it, it can beat pretty much everything uh generally i don't think it has huge margins on a lot of the format but um you know like uh, just a deck that i think is really consistent so that's why i would pick it good guardian well brendan no surprise i would play brute <laughs> which one though i that's a great question. I, I think Levi is out for me. Um, I want to test a little bit more and, and make sure of that. But every time, like basically I try, there's so many heroes now. So I've got to do some some fundamentals from a theory standpoint. And the theory on Levi to me hasn't changed. I think, you know, you get wind up, you get Apex Bonebreaker. Unless there's something that's more groundbreaking than that, I kind of don't have enough interest. I do have interest in KO and Reinhardt though. I want to play Reiner. Like, that is obvious, right? Like, if I can play Reiner, I would love to finally be able to play Reiner. Is it good enough? I don't know. Um, I've been really enjoying my testing. I feel like I've got a list that feels good. I would probably just play that if I had a Road to Nationals next weekend. Would I recommend it? Probably not. I'd probably recommend KO, I think, at this stage. Um, but I think both Reiner and KO are quite powerful. And if I'm talking about those those top echelon of decks, I think... I, in my testing so far, and from what I'm looking at, I might put Reinar in there, but I'm I'm also, you know, KO, KO is probably default right now looking very good, and there's a few different ways to build it. Um, in terms of, like, some of the, the other heroes, I think that I would look at, I, I honestly agree on Victor. I think Victor looks really good, and that might be my recommend for anyone who likes that style of value deck or Guardian is to to go and look at Victor for, for Swicker Road to Nationals, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> It just draws extra cards. It just draws extra cards. It has guardian cards. Guardian cards are good. Has good equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, fab fundament Fab fundamentals. Victor is a good hero. So you really can't go yeah. wrong. I just think the list needs to be honed in a bit. And also, if I was an illusionist player, I might play Prism 
at week one of Road to Nationals, not for mine. I have zero experience with the the new Prism. So I'm, I have a list that I'm actually testing out very soon uh, from Rhea, which I snagged off of her stream. So I'll get back to you on that. I, I played it a bit. It's it's a fun hero to play as well. There's a lot of complexities. I think it's, it's cool. Uh, you obviously got a new weapon as well. All right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 148 of Arsenal Pass. Taking a look at the first heavy hitters, Classic Constructed implications. I don't know. Let us know what you think in the comments. Is KO the new face of Classic Constructed in flesh and blood for the next wee period, small period? Or is there another hero that maybe didn't perform this weekend? Maybe it is Victor. Maybe it is Chad Victor himself that is going to come through. Uh, or maybe it's something else. So let us know your thoughts in the comments. Like, is there hope for me? Is Reiner real? Brendan, you want to take us out? Yep. If you're listening to this podcast, you enjoy it. The number one thing you can do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Wherever you're listening, it helps us so, so, so much. And we read every single review. There's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash Arsenal Pass. Twitter's at Brendan APG and Fien underscore Dale. And a special shout out to all of the Arsenal Pass patrons. Got deck packs coming soon. Probably one in the next one to two weeks. Uh, ideally snagging someone from the Battle Harden. And uh, yeah, just stay tuned for that. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week. 